I know we've talked a little bit about, maybe I'll just jump uh, in here with something that I picked up on the way over, flying over yesterday, uh, from an interview with Chris Cole from Artemis Capital, who has done some really interesting um, reports uh, in, in the volatility space, where he talked a little bit about uh, the February event. Now, we've had probably two events you can talk about it in, uh, this year, um, but they're different, I think, in, in some ways. Um, but he was focusing, this interview was done before the the uh, October uh, most recent event. But he talked a lot about February um, as not being a volatility event, event. And I think a lot of people, um, you know, including myself, really, um, we're looking at this as quote unquote a volatility event because we were focusing on the fact that the VIX went up by a hundred percent in in no time. But he was talking about this as being much more of a uh, liquidity event, uh, which I thought at, at when when I heard the first time uh, I thought, wow, that's interesting uh, in 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 some ways. And he went on to explain that when you looked at some of some of the fixed strike option prices uh, in in the equity space in January and February, he, according to his analysis, um, they they were actually moving a lot more in January than they were in February. So what caused the February event in his mind was really people who realized that they had to get out um, and needed to get some protection. And there was just no liquidity to be found, uh, even moving 100 lots of, of S&P became a problem which is you know you think a hundred lots is nothing so i thought that's an interesting uh i thought that was an interesting topic conversation i'm not sure that it's fully appreciated by many people uh if indeed it is true and i think jerry uh, before we started you talked a little bit about that that's something you've heard as well and um and so uh, i think it it adds another dimension of the risk spectrum uh maybe the hidden risks that we don't talk about that often and where uh, many strategies potentially are reliant a lot more on liquidity, risk, uh, liquidity, um, but it's something that might not, uh, you know, come up a lot in 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 you know general due diligence conversations, because you take it for granted, right, that these markets are liquid uh, because they are maybe ninety nine percent of the time they're super liquid, um, but when you really need it, that's where liquidity is important. So that was a little bit of a rambling for me. Anything that you Want to comment on that or add to that? Maybe you've heard something similar or not. Well, it's definitely confusing. Um, I mean, to some degree, just listening to what you just said, I'm thinking that, well, is that all the same thing? Is is the lack of liquidity, that, is this what's driving the, the volatility or vice versa? They're, they've got to be connected in some way. Um, people get afraid and the algos go away and so there's nothing on the bid or there's nothing on the offer. Uh, this creates more volatility and it creates fear and, it, and people start wanting to sell more. So I'm not sure yeah. if it's two different subjects or if, he, if that's a really profound insight that he had. Um, liquidity goes away and uh, that creates more, more activity probably to reduce risk, which creates more risk. De-risking yeah. is the term that um, I, I hear a lot. These are de-risking trades, <laughs> and they look <laughs> awfully risky to me. Uh, and then I think one of the benefits of trading a long-term strategy, in my mind, is that you know this is just this sort of junk crap happens a lot. And I want to, whatever happens above my exit, my long-term trailing stop, breakout, or moving average, then I can ignore that. It's just noise. It's going up. It's going down. They're doing all these crazy trades. 
And as long as I can just stay out of the fray, and when sanity comes back in and real trading, uh, not technical trading, let's say, if, if one can yeah. even identify the differences, uh, then I'll be okay. But these sell-offs get so violent in some of these markets, and I'm trading single stocks, so I'm insulated a little bit because I still have quite a few longs that uh, did exactly that. They had a lot of volatility above the trailing stop. It, yeah. uh, that stuff stopped. I never got stopped out. So, But eventually, I'll get hit too, and it'll be yeah. irrational, and I'll have to get right back in at the highs again. So it's, it's definitely something that maybe the data that we backtest over the past 30 years doesn't have as much of that craziness in it uh, yeah. as it has recently. I would love to hear your view as well, Mortz, if you have one. But before that, I just want to. Uh, so I was reviewing some old transcripts of previous conversations I've had uh, over the years on the podcast, and one of them uh, was with Covenant Covenant Capital, which is probably mm -hmm. one of the longest term managers that I've come across, uh, where they only you know look at data or weekly signals, uh, so weekly data for their signals. But it kind of goes back to your point, Jerry, that. It's certainly one way of trying to stay out of this uh, crazy noise that happens from time to time um, by, you know, focusing on a on a much longer uh, time frame. Anything on your side, Moritz, in in this respect, or yes, yeah, so we... in terms of liquidity, um, it really seems that February has been less liquid than uh, than the other month, and I think what Chris Cole has has mentioned there is also that. On that day, uh, you know, in, in early February, um, you had a lot of these ETPs becoming forced buyers of VIX futures contracts. And that became a very illiquid market at that point in time. I'm not so sure about the E-minis, um, the S&P that is. Um, I follow some of the stats of Nanex, mm -hmm. and it seems to be uh, in that same ballpark. They said February has been relatively illiquid as far as E-minis are concerned. Um, by contrast, though, October has been relatively liquid. Um, yeah. Now, I'm, you know, I don't, I don't look at the, you know, second, third, or you know, lower levels of the order book um, for for my trading. I have no real dependency there or, or trading strategies that rely on that. But one thing that I um, mentioned in one of our earlier conversations, and and what I'd like to complete before the end of the year is is some, you know, update of my slippage analysis uh, for you know, 2018 and see if that has really deteriorated compared to 17, 16, 2015. Um, once I've done that, I'm, I'll be happy to let you know the results. Sure. Um, my feeling is that uh, it hasn't really changed that much as far as I'm concerned or as far as my and trading is concerned. Yeah, yeah. When you talk about slippage like that, do you just take it on aggregate all the markets you trade or do you actually... No, um, I look at it market by market. Yeah, you break it down market by market. So, yeah. so there might be some more slippage in, say, equities, but there may be less in elsewhere. And, and that's what you mean when you say it may not have changed a lot, but individual markets may have changed. Exactly. I want to see if some of the individual markets have changed and if that change is meaningful. I mean, of course, it changes every year a bit up and down. It's, it's a volatile thing itself. But, yeah. you know, I want to be on the lookout if, if really those numbers have deteriorated um, quite, you know, considerably in one market. Or in a couple sure. of markets, and if they yeah. have, then you know I need to take a deeper dive into that. But like I said, yeah. I, I don't think it is the case. But you know, yeah. better safe than sorry. So I'll look at it. 
But maybe if we're a little bit um, coordinated about these things, I can certainly talk to our trading desk and, and maybe, Jerry, you could t- t- talk to your trading desk and maybe we do a little slippage episode and see whether we find anything interesting. I think that's a great, uh, great topic. But I, I think that um, it's just a situation, especially in, let's say, uh, October and February, that it's, it's days or hours we're talking about. So yeah. if uh, if you did no trades that day, then you had sure. no slippage. Oh, but let me tell yeah. you, there was some slippage there, uh, some massive yeah. slippage. And so I think that the numbers can be uh, overly pessimistic or overly optimistic uh, in situations where there is a crash. And then a day later, two days later, oh, we're back to kind of normal. October was good. Uh-uh. I don't care about October. I care about a day, a hour, yeah. the two or three days that I had to, uh, you know, maybe do some trades and then, okay, now we're kind of back to normal, uh, sort of. So I think this is a problem. Um, and this is what lends people to think, you know, this is not really real. This is kind of fake stuff. And, um, but maybe not, you know, it could be a precursor to a real big bear market. So I guess all will be forgiven, uh, for the October slam, but I don't think anything should be forgiven about February. Uh, there needs to be, yeah. and if you know, if CTAs are not doing this, and it's they're responsible. Uh, when it happened in February, AQR came out with a letter uh, talking about it, and Bridgewater said they weren't guilty. So maybe some of the trend people who manage many, many billions, hey, they could do the same thing. Trust me, it was not us. We're smarter than that. We're at least as smart as Jerry, and we don't try to sell 10,000 S&Ps on a, when the bid is 50. I mean, something simple like that would make people feel a little bit better about the legitimacy of the markets. Yeah, I think it's a great point, and I think it's an important discussion because I think you're right. I mean, these two events in, in, in the bigger scheme of things, I mean, they're relatively you know small, even though they've been painful uh, if you're on the wrong side of it, for sure. But if we're going to have something much bigger, much greater that lasts for a much longer period of time, then this kind of risk is something that all trading strategies or investment strategies needs to deal with in a much more meaningful way. Um, and um, so, yeah, no, I do think it's interesting for sure. Uh, you know, one of uh, your interviews that I really, really enjoyed was with the guy from uh, Herald. Oh, yeah, Herald from, from TransTrend. Uh, yeah. Yes, it was amazing. And then so I'm scouring his website and his news monthly newsletters and just which good stuff on there. I really love those guys. And um, I had something pinned on my Twitter. My pinned tweet was, I'll have to paraphrase it, but it was really funny to me. It was funny. It was something like uh, vol targeting the the best kind of risk management as long as you don't ever need it. Something like that. So (laughs) it's in theory, it's just fantastic. Don't try to, don't try to implement it. Yeah. But I think, but couldn't that be said about other things in 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 a sense that there are just certain things where you can't um, where it works ninety nine percent of the time, right, or ninety nine point nine percent of the time, but that there's this one zero point one percent of the time where it just doesn't work, and and it's a big risk. But I wonder whether we can can we? I don't know that we can eliminate all kinds of risks. Do you know what I mean? I mean, maybe we have to settle for, yeah, it works 99% of the time, but there will be one time where you really get into trouble. But hey, that's... Well, this is a new kind of risk that, in my opinion, was created out of thin air. It never was risky before to have a monster profit and uh, that you've held onto for a year, let's say. And then as the vol increases, you have to do a radical reduction in your position. 
And right. so this was uh, now the risk that I always heard about. I'm being a little facetious here. Was uh, the small loss? We have to take uh, a few ATR losses on a trade and risk 50 basis points. And if it goes against us, we have the built, we have the predetermined stop, predetermined loss. But once we have a big, huge trade, uh, this is what trend followers do. They make a lot on five or ten percent of their trades, and we're going to maximize that profit. And and when towards the end, when the market, you know, gets uh, the end of the trend, maybe we'll see some volatility. We'll give back a fair amount, but we'll have made a lot of money. Oh, we have a new risk now, which is, oh, the ATR was X. Now it's yeah. 2X. I have to reduce my trade. Really? I mean, it's it's a great trade. Oh, no. It's, it's yeah. this extra risk now. <clears throat> and then the back test that, um, that, w- that was done on this particular strategy did not include that type of trading. So I think this is another issue that yeah. <clears throat> in, in testing and research, your own ideas can have an impact on the market. I think that's a very, very good point, a great point, actually. And and, and not to uh, only quote uh, Chris Cole this time, but it's just happened that I was listening to him uh, on the plane over. He made a, a point about that uh, as well. I think, or at least I think he made a point about that. <laughs> Let me not uh, talk on his behalf. And that is the fact that volatility has become, it's gone from a statistics that we could look at to now becoming a player on the team, right? So now it's part of what we do. And that changes the game when you put it on the field, so to speak, and it becomes part, as you would say, as you just said, uh, Jerry, if suddenly you have to adjust because of changes in volatility, instead of just observing the fact that the volatility had changed. And he uses an example of, um, you know, if, if we imagine a world with self-driving cars, so so right now we, we may have limits on, on the highways at 70 miles an hour. But because self-driving cars will be so much more efficient, they'll be safer, and all this technology will make crashes uh, much less likely, we should we can put up the speed limit to 120, 130 maybe, and it should be fine. But the problem, of course, is that when something does happen, then the impact of such a crash, crash is so much bigger. And, and I think that's what he... Um, you know, relates back to to the markets that now that we're using volatility as 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 a as a factor in our models and and it's a player on on the team, so to speak. Then once we and and it may work for as you say ninety nine percent of the time, but when it doesn't work and it's suddenly a part of the game, the impact of that fallout will be so much bigger. If that makes sense. 